the gifts of Christmas, and we're just going to look over the next several weeks at a handful of gifts from Christmas. These aren't all the gifts of Christmas, of course, but some of the gifts that we might not oftentimes think of at Christmas, like the gift of expectancy. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to start by looking at this gift of expectancy, the, the gifts of Christmas. And um, the reality is, it's one thing to enter the Christmas season with our expectations. It's another thing to know that the Christmas season is built on one central expectation, which is really discovering Christ, discovering the baby Jesus and all that he means to us. And that's what Christmas really needs to revolve around. When you think about this idea of expectancy, uh, uh, we just need to think about how Christ needs to be our central expectation in the season. When you think of uh, the, the gift of expectancy today, think of expectation, think of the idea of Advent. You've heard the word Advent. And what does Advent really mean? You know, we, we have these terms, we throw them out and we use them, but what does Advent really mean? When you think of Advent, you can think of the word arrival. And that's kind of what Advent really means. It comes from the Latin adventuous, meaning arrival or coming, particularly of something having great importance. And you can look at that and pretty much determine that that, word, that, that Latin word adventuous is where we get our word adventure. And how many would not say that for the first Christmas, for the shepherds and the wise men and Mary and Joseph and all those, Christmas wasn't a grand adventure. It was kind of an adventure for this, this dad in his home every year at Christmas when they were searching for the baby Jesus. There's this sense of adventure. Advent is arrival. It is really celebrating, uh, honestly, it's celebrating the four weeks that lead up to Jesus' birthday. That's what Advent really is. And it's interesting for you and I, we have a birthday, right? And we celebrate our birthday on one day. But for Jesus, we celebrate his birthday, supposedly. We celebrate it for the four weeks that lead up to that one day. And if you include what comes after, the 12 days of Christmas after, you got 12 more days after. Um, and, and so you can see the significance of Jesus' birthday and how we celebrate it. In fact, why do we celebrate it, Advent? Because Jesus is simply that worthy. I mean, he is just so unlike any other baby that was ever born. And so he is that worthy. And so he deserves to have a month-long celebration or even longer of his birthday. In fact, here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there, shall be, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. Do you see that Jesus is not just another baby born into the world? He is the king who brings the righteousness, justice, and peace this world longs for. He is the servant king who offered his life for his subjects to redeem them and will one day rule over them as a benevolent king in a never-ending eternal kingdom. He is that worthy and that's why we celebrate advent for four weeks we celebrate his birthday he's that worthy we celebrate advent because well christmas has always been a season of expectation christmas has always been a season of expectation what do we mean by that well for instance those words by isaiah we just read isaiah chapter 9 were written 700 years before christ came 
Years before he came, it was prophesied that God was going to send a Messiah, a Savior King, a baby King into the world. And that's just what Christmas has always been, a season of expectations, expectations that were realized on that first Christmas. We were told to expect his coming, what to expect with his coming, and how to know he had really come. We celebrate Advent. We celebrate Advent also because just as Christ came once, Christ is coming again. That's the beauty of it. You know, we, we think about the season of expectation here, but we're told every day to live with a sense of expectation that just because, or just as Christ came one time, 2,000 years ago, he will come again. He came the first time to die for our sins, to redeem us, to set things right between us and God so that the second time he comes, he can take us away to heaven to be with him forever and ever and ever. The one who came and will come again, that is Christ. Look at Colossians 3. I share this verse a lot, but look at one word in here. Colossians 3, first four verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Put your expectations on heavenly things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. One day Christ is coming back. And I love the way it describes when he comes back. He will just appear. He will just appear. He will just appear like that star that just appeared out of nowhere to those wise men 2,000 years ago and pointed, it's pointed to, the, to Bethlehem and to the Savior. It will appear just like the, the angel choir appeared just out of nowhere to those shepherds and announced the birth of Jesus. And one day Christ is coming back and he will just appear. And in the twinkling of an eye, he will take us to glory. Rapture us away to be with him forever and ever and ever. How awesome that is. At Christmas, we celebrate what is called the Advent. The period of time that leads up to the birth of Christ. Christmas has always been a season of expectation. And if you miss the expectancy of the Christmas season, you miss the heart of the Christmas message. There is so much to expect at Christmas. It's the heart of the Christmas story. Here then is our big idea. And this is a big idea that you can use to frame your entire Christmas season this year. Put this on the front of your fridge. Christmas is a season of expectation. Let Jesus exceed yours. Christmas is a season of expectation. Let the Christ child come and exceed all of your expectations this Christmas. And it can be more than you ever thought or dreamed or imagined it could be. What he did for Mary and Joseph, the shepherds and wise men, Simeon and Anna, Zechariah and Elizabeth, he can do for you and for me. I have three simple rules this morning. If we want to unpack this gift of expectancy, three simple rules that we need to consider and uh, they will help us really delve into this whole idea of what to expect over the Christmas season and how to, uh, to have our expectations met, I should say. So let me start in Luke chapter 2. It's a, it's a guy by, by the name of Simeon. We could describe him as a prophet who hung out at the temple. Luke 2.25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit 
into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. Israel. First lesson this morning is simply this. Uh, well, we got asked this question, I guess. What am I looking for this Christmas? We think about expectancy and our expectations, and we can start with that question. What am I looking for this Christmas? We need to ask that repeatedly this morning. We'll kind of go back to that question. But here's our first rule simply then from Simeon. It, it's simply this. We will find what we look for. We will find what we look for. That's the general rule of life. But you will find what you look for. What are you looking for? That's what you're going to find. Think about that. We will find what we look for. If Christmas is a season of expectation, if it offers us the gift of expectancy, then all we have to simply do is be a little more, how about this word, proactive. Be a little more proactive. Let's define our expectations. What do I want out of this Christmas season? What do I want out of this Christmas season? What am I hoping happens this year at Christmas time? Do you know what you hope this Christmas will be like? Do you know what you hope to get out of this Christmas season? You know, oftentimes we look at things in life and we think, boy, you know, that didn't live up to my expectations. And yet, if we're really honest, we never had any expectations. We never said any. You can say, oh, this is a bummer of a Christmas, but you know what? If we don't set any expectations, we can't meet them. So what if we stopped and we just said, what are my expectations this year for Christmas? Give me three things about Simeon that I think that stand out to me is that Simeon knew what he was looking for. Here he is in the temple. He knew what he was looking for. And uh, he was looking for the consolation of Israel, the hope of Israel. And he was thrilled when it came to pass. Simeon had waited for this for a long time. You have to wonder how many December 25ths he didn't walk through the temple and, and just walk through because he was waiting for the arrival of the baby Jesus. And then it's just this year. It's just this year uh, that it happens and, and then he's born and here he is a few days later and Jesus is in the temple. And you know, this kind of implies that Simeon was now an aged man. Simeon says, Now you're letting your servant depart in peace. He's been waiting on this for a long time. He's probably up there uh, in years, probably getting older. Simeon's now ready to leave this world. Now that God's promise has been fulfilled and Israel's hope has been revealed, Simeon's at peace. It's like, I can, I can actually leave this world. I have seen the thing that I have been hoping for. My hopes have been realized. I think that's pretty, pretty amazing, pretty powerful. I often think about how, you know, there are times when older people, when they pass away, and lots of times people who know Christ, they just have this peace. They're just ready to go. It's, it's, it's just like, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to leave. And uh, because their hopes have maybe shifted to heaven and their, their focus is back on their Savior. And uh, Simeon here has saw what he's looked for his entire life, and he's ready to go. Simeon also knew what his true hope was. He knew exactly what true hope was. I think that is so key, so important. His hope and Israel's hope, of course, was Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
I think about people in the world today who simply do not understand what their true hope in life is. And, and they're looking for hope all over the place. We, we work with people. We, we live next door to people. We have people in our family that are relatives that just don't understand where their true hope lies. And they end up chasing so many other things in life that leave them disillusioned and empty. The truth is, a job or promotion will not be our truest hope. A cure from some disease will not be our truest hope. The approval of someone else will not be our truest hope. Our truest hope is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And I just think about this night when Simeon walks in here and he explodes with joy. He is filled with hope and he, um, of course, is, is just uh, got this peace rooted in his soul. As, on, on this night as he walks through. And yet the question you have to ask yourself was, so on this night, at this time when the Messiah walks into the temple, he has hope and joy and peace. What about the rest of his life? Did he have hope the other days? The, 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 did he have hope looking back in his life? Well, yeah, I think he did because he was looking for this hope and that, that hope that he was looking for gave him hope and gave him joy and gave him peace every day. He believed the word of the Lord. He believed what God had told him. And even though he was getting older and the years were waning on, he lived with his hope every single day. Now, I'm sure Simeon was human like us all. He probably had his days. He probably had his days and he got a little discouraged. But all in all, he kept coming back. He kept coming back to this hope. How do we know he kept coming back to this hope? Because here he is on this day in the temple looking, searching, and here is Christ. The Christ child comes in and he is filled with incredible hope. And it's interesting if you noticed in the text too, three times it tells us why he ended up in the temple. It tells us the role of the Holy Spirit. Three different times it mentions the Holy Spirit had a role in him entering and getting to the temple. First it tells us that Simeon was a man who the Holy Spirit was upon. He lived under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The third time, it tells him the Holy Spirit led him into the temple. And the very first thing tells us that years earlier, the Holy Spirit came to him and told him that one day he would see the consolation, the hope, the birth of the Messiah. He would see that before he died. And the Holy Spirit came and gave him that message. And he clung to that message throughout his entire, entire life. He knew what he was looking for. He knew what his true hope was. And here's the reality. Simeon's hope was rooted in the scriptures. Just know that, that the scriptures are always our source of daily hope and encouragement. They are. Anytime you just, you need, you just go to the scriptures, you can hear, that, you can hear that, that line a hundred times. We need to be reminded all the time. Our truest hope is in the word of God. And we can go there and we can connect with Christ and connect with uh, the, the Father and the Holy Spirit and we can just be encouraged anew. Simeon's hope was rooted in the scriptures. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. The reality is this Christmas you will find what you look for. You simply will. You simply have to ask the question and then you have to answer it. What am I looking for this Christmas? What am I looking for? Seriously, what are my expectations this Christmas when we think of the Christmas season um, do you have any goals for Christmas this year? You know, we might be ones that sets goals. We set goals sometimes. I wonder sometimes if we don't set maybe superficial goals. Like my goals this year for Christmas are to spend less, to eat healthier, to avoid certain relatives, to hide the presents better, to find better Christmas gifts. 
You see, you can find what you're looking for. You really can find what you're looking for. If you're looking for a better apple pie recipe, you can probably find one on Google if you're looking for that. What are you looking for this Christmas? That's the reality. What if we revisited that question, what do I really want out of Christmas this year? What are my goals I'm hoping this year for a season of what? I'm hoping for a seasons of savings. You know, is that your expectation or I'm hoping for a season of of joy and peace and kindness and compassion and servanthood and whatever it might be. How do you define your expectations? We will, we will most certainly find what we look for. Here's a second lesson for us this morning. We go to Matthew chapter 1. Oh, I got, no, before I move on, I got to share this because this is kind of cool. We think about what, um, we think about what, um, No, that's out of place, so I'm confusing myself there. I put that in the wrong place, so we'll, we'll, we'll miss that later. But here, second lesson, second rule. We see what we want to see. We find what we're looking for, and we, listen, we see what we want to see. Whether we're talking about relationships and other people, whether we're talking about our circumstances we're going through, or whether we're talking about our own fallen nature and our sin and our mistakes and our failures, we see what we want to see in life. We simply do. What are your expectations? This is another basic rule for life. We see what we want to see. Anybody know why Santa's little helper was depressed? Anybody know why? He had low elf esteem. So, hey. Low elf esteem. Okay. Matthew chapter 1. Here we go. Matthew chapter 1. And... Uh, let me back up here, and here's, here's I, I uh, got it out of place. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Uh, yeah, now the birth of Jesus Christ, I'm really confused here. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I was thinking about this reality. Now, we will see what we want to see in others. And I'm just thinking about what did Joseph see in Mary at this moment? Again, you can see what you want to see in somebody else. And what did Joseph see in Mary? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes a moment. You see, we will see what we want to see in other people. This is Joseph's example. And I have to think that Joseph probably at this moment would have been terribly disappointed when he heard the news that Mary was pregnant. Now, the Bible never makes that assertion, but it would seem. In fact, if he was heartbroken, that would have been very normal. That he was heartbroken with what happened. And, and yet what we find here, what we read about, about um, Joseph gives us great insight into his character. He was a great a man, a great character. And, and he, he resolves to divorce her quietly. Does not want to put her to any sort of shame. And uh, the, the reality here is that Joseph is not simply trying to hide Mary's indiscretion or his own embarrassment. That's not the reality. The Bible says that Joseph is being a just man. He is doing not just the right thing, but the righteous thing by Mary. He really is. He's looking out for her. When he looks at Mary, what does he see? He sees the woman that he loved. He, he does not see 
um, a mistake that she may have made, a sin that she may have committed. In fact, think about the implications here. Joseph is going to divorce her quietly and just kind of leave quietly. So everybody knows that Mary and Joseph uh, are engaged to be married, right? In that day, it was like you were already married, but you weren't, but you were betrothed or engaged. And so all of a sudden, Mary's pregnant and Joseph's just gone. Well, a lot of people could think Joseph just ran off on her, got her pregnant and ran off on her. It could look bad for Joseph. And again, Joseph here is looking out for Mary. He is not looking out necessarily for himself. When Joseph looked at Mary, what did he see? Did he see how she failed him? Did he see her great sin? No, he saw the woman that he loved. You see, people always live up to our expectations, don't they? They really do. We see what we want to see in others think of four things you can see in other people how about you can always look for the best in others look for the best in others always look for the best joseph did that he saw the value in mary even when the world would have said she's devalued and not worth much now but he saw the value in her the world would have said she's unworthy of love but he loved her anyway a lot like christ i think the reason that joseph was called to be the father of jesus was because he was such a just man of great character and he stood by Mary in this time. Also, look for the similarities in others. If there is somebody that really gets on your nerves, somebody that just really bugs you, you know, a coworker, a neighbor, you know what? You know why they really bug you is because they're like a mirror. And you look into them and you see all your flaws and they just really annoy you. And it's like, so just look for the similarities in other people. Uh, you'll see what you want to see in others. And you can look at them and you can think, hey, you know, that's just like me. So I'm not going to be too too upset with them that's just the common way that our mind works Um, i'm not saying this was the case for joseph but i am saying that there's a universal rule here that we can look from joseph and mary and would be this judge not lest you be judged get the log out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's eyes that doesn't mean we can't call out sinful behavior or, or identify what's right and wrong according to scripture you can do that but there's this sense, be very careful when you judge somebody else. And for Joseph to look at Mary was to say, hey, she struggles like I struggle. And uh, she, she, had a, she had a moral failure maybe and I struggle as well sometimes. And Look for the hurt in others. You want to see what you see in others? Look for the hurt. If someone's hurting you, all you have to do is stop and realize that hurting people hurt. If someone's hurting, what do they do? They hurt somebody else. It's just the way we work. It's the way we're wired. It's an unfortunate reality. Hurting people hurt. And then finally, look for the emptiness in others. Again, if there are people around you, coworkers, neighbors, relatives that just, man, they just drive you crazy and they just sometimes look for the emptiness in somebody else. If they don't know Christ, they're full of nothing. They're full of emptiness and their soul is full of darkness and and you just had to pray for them don't be annoyed by them pray for them pray for that person at school that you just can't stand pray for them that they would come to know christ as you know christ the reality is is that we have more control than we realize over our christmas no one no individual has the power to ruin our christmas or to make any day of christmas a bad day we have the power to see what we want to see in other people. And we will see what we want to see in others. 
The beautiful thing here, if we circle back around a moment, the beautiful thing in Joseph's story is that he not only saw what he wanted to see uh, in Mary, but he saw what God wanted him to see. In Matthew 1.18, the angel comes back to, to Joseph and basically explains to Joseph the truth. Here's what's really going on with Mary. She's pregnant because the Holy Spirit made her pregnant. And you actually are going to be the father of the Messiah and she's going to be the mother of the Messiah and explains it all to him. And how thrilled Joseph must have been in that moment to know the truth. How thrilled Joseph must have been to know in that moment the reality, the truth of what really transpired that first Christmas. So, pretty cool. Eventually, Joseph will see what God wants him to see what did God want him to know about the situation and God explained it to him and then we also there's another part of this equation that we see what we want to see we will see what we want to see in our circumstances and this is Mary's example if you think about Mary's example a minute we will see what we want to see in any of our circumstances we go through any of the challenges we face the adversity the trials whatever it might be just put yourself in Mary's sandals for a moment. Think about her story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will consider Receive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so here comes the, the angel to, to Mary and says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The Lord has found a special favor with you. And again, I think the reason that God asked Mary to be the mother of Jesus was because she was so righteous. She was such a godly woman. And, uh, but so here's this fear element, don't be afraid. And so Mary's like, well, okay, I won't be afraid. And then the angel says, well, here's the deal. God wants you to be the mother of the Messiah. You'll be the virgin, the prophet of, spoke of hundreds of years ago. You're gonna be that, that virgin woman that gives birth to the Messiah and is the mother of the Messiah. And uh, so don't be afraid. Mary's like, oh, I thought I was supposed to not be afraid of you, an angel. It's like, no, don't be afraid of your calling. Don't be afraid of your assignment. Don't be freaked out by what God is asking you to do. And the amazing thing is, here's Mary's response. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And simply a bio biology question and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her whose name, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her Whenever I see the story of Mary, I immediately want to, I just have this sense of comparing her with Moses. I do this all the time. I think of Moses 
And of course, the angel of the Lord comes down, the pre-incarnate Christ comes down and calls Moses. We looked at that a few weeks back, really calls him. And Moses has excuse after excuse after excuse. And here comes the angel of the Lord to Mary. Mary's 15-year-old girl comes to Mary. And Mary's response is just so incredible. Mary versus Moses, who are you? Because if a 15, think about it, if a 15-year-old girl, she's probably 15, maybe a little older, a little younger. If a 15-year-old girl can be approached by an angel and asked to be the mother of the Messiah, if she can respond with such joy and confidence, well, why can't we? See, whatever our circumstances are, we can approach them with joy and with confidence. Whatever challenge we're, we're given, whatever adversity we face through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can express joy and confidence in our circumstances. And the thing about it, it's not like Mary had all this time to process this or to think about it. She didn't. This is, the angel appeared out of nowhere and they have this conversation and within five minutes, here's Mary saying, okay, I'm the servant of the Lord. Whatever you want, I'm yours. She didn't have all this time to process this and think about it. Well, let me pray about it for a few days and I'll get back with you and maybe I'll be the mother of the Messiah. Maybe, you know, it's like, no. She just said, okay, sign me up with joy and with confidence. And what did Mary see? See, life is filled with moments that we didn't expect, right? Moments that are moments and circumstances that can rattle us and frustrate us and annoy us and catch us off guard. And we're like, I wasn't expecting that at all. And how can we respond like Mary with such joy and confidence? What did Mary see? I think Mary saw the providential hand of God. She understood the, that her father, or her holy father, God the Father, was calling her for this mission. He saw her hand in the midst of all this. And whatever we go through in life, whatever circumstance, adversity, whatever challenge he gives us to do, Anything, it doesn't matter. We can always look and find the providential hand of God using that circumstance for our growth and for his glory. He will use anything we go through for our growth and for his glory and we can respond with the same joy and confidence that Mary responded with. That's the reality. In any circumstance, we can see what we want to see. Am I, am I, am I being treated unfairly? I can see that if I want to see that. Or I can see the providential hand of God. Am I being asked to do something that is beyond me? I can see that or I can see the providential hand of God. Is the situation more than I can handle? I can see that or I can see the providential hand of God asking me, knowing what he has for me. When it comes to life, our relationships, our circumstances, and this Christmas season, we always see what we want. In fact, I'll give you an example from the pages of culture. Let me show you a picture. Um, what's wrong with this picture? You know, there are some people now that want to boycott a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. That's politically incorrect. You know why? I learned this weekend it's racist. It's racist because Franklin is sitting on one side of the table all by himself. Now, here's the truth you see what you want to see. Here's the truth. You know why Franklin's in this? Because Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts, went to the people and said, I'm adding this, I'm adding this black character here to this, 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 this show, Franklin, and they didn't want him to. He said, well, I'm either adding him or we're not doing it. Basically, that's the way it went down. We're adding the character. And uh, 
So they gave in and relinquished. So the truth was, it was exactly the exact opposite of that. But uh, in life, you see what you want to see. And you can see the worst or you can think the best of others. Three rules to remember. We find what we were looking for. We see what we want to see. And number three, here's the third one. It's, uh, it's not hard to see and find Christ at Christmas. It is not hard to see and find Christ at Christmas. Unlike the video we watched at the outset, God is not going to hide himself from you this Christmas. He is not. And it is not hard to see him and find him this Christmas. It will not be. Yes, there are seasons of life when God seems maybe quiet or distant. There are those seasons of life. But even then, if you look, you'll see God. He's not totally gone. He just seems a little quieter. God will not hide himself from us this Christmas and we can find him. We really, really can. You know, you think of the Christmas story and there's only a few in the, in the Bible that it seems that Jesus appeared to that first Christmas. The implication is from Scripture is that most of the world was oblivious to the birth of Christ and there were a handful of different individuals that experienced it. But I just have to believe that there were most likely others, their stories not in the Bible, that also celebrated the birth of the Messiah that first Christmas. I'm, I'm going to assume there are others that saw the star in the sky and I'm going to assume that there are others that heard the testimony of the shepherds and worshipped the birth of the Messiah. And their story isn't in the Bible, but they did. Most people, though, most people were oblivious. Most people missed out on that first Christmas. That is the truth. That is the truth. How do we see Christ? Where do we find him in the Christmas story? Where do we see him? How do we find him in the Christmas story? How about in the redemptive gospel of the Christmas carols that play in some of the most contradictory places? When you're out in the mall and you hear a Christmas carol and play, you ever hear a Christmas carol and you hear the words of joy to the world and you look around you and you think, boy, this is so surreal because here's a world full of people that have no idea what they're even hearing. The depth, the richness of that carol, of the truth that's being played, the redemptive nature of those lyrics. And there. Again, in those Christmas carols, we can find Christ. Just stop sometimes and listen. They say if you sing a song 50 times, you start to just sing it by rote. You kind of lose the meaning of what you're singing. So let's take the time to listen to those lyrics a little closer. How about the Christmas lights that, uh, of course, point to the light of the world? We go out and about and we see all the Christmas lights. Lights that once again speak of hope in a dark world, enlightenment in our, in our confusion and peace in our turmoil. And it really is amazing how the world loves the color and beauty of the Christmas lights that captivates their senses and, and, and just thrills their soul. They love the Christmas lights and yet the stark reality is, is there is someone and their soul is literally dark inside because they don't know Christ. They don't have the light of life. How sad that is. They don't have the true life. Think, imagine what your own Christmas would be like, your own life for that matter, if you had to fill your soul with imitation lights and not the light of this world. Back in Matthew 4.16, quoting the prophet Isaiah, we read this earlier in Isaiah, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. If we think the lights of Christmas are beautiful, how much more the light of life. And the reality is for us, uh, those of us who know Christ, we haven't been dwelling in the darkness like that. We don't have darkness in our soul. And sometimes we forget what it's like 
to have a soul that is filled with darkness. We need to pray for those around us that don't know the light of life, that don't have the true light that fills their soul and illuminates their days. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We need to pray for a world that is lost in darkness. We find Christ in the Christmas carols that play and in the lights that shine and we find him in the gifts that we give to each other. Just think about that. The gifts we wrap up and give to one another. And each of those gifts, we think about those gifts that we're giving. Just think about the fact that Christ gave us uh, an incredible gift at Christmas. Several incredible gifts. And one of those is the gift of expectancy. That we can expect he will come because he came once, he will come again. We live with that sense of expectation every day. In our own gift giving though, think Think about the reality that we can find Christ in the gifts that we give as we give gifts to each other. Think about what are the gifts we really wish for them, the gifts that maybe we can't purchase for them, but we really wish they would know the gift of peace and joy and hope. Today's big idea, Christmas is a season of expectation. Let Jesus exceed yours. Just know that Christ can exceed all of your expectations this Christmas. We find what we are looking for. We see what we want to see. And know that it's not hard to find Christ, to see Christ this Christmas. We can. We can find Him. We can see Him in the music that plays, the lights that shine, and the gifts that we wrap up. You know, we ask each other all the time, what do you want for Christmas this year, right? We ask each other, what do we want for Christmas this year? What do you want me to get you for Christmas? And we have our expectations. Well, I hope, you know, I hope Aunt Bertha gives me that Christmas sweater I really want. Or I hope Uncle John gives me a fruitcake. You know, we have all our expectations out there. We, we, we share our expectations for the Christmas season. We, we tell people what we want them to get us. What if we asked God that question this year? What if we asked God the question, um, seriously, if we asked him, um, uh, let's read it off here. What do you want from me this Christmas? What do you have for me this Christmas? What do you want to show me this Christmas? What if we simply went to the Father and asked the Father, what are your expectations for my Christmas? What do you want my Christmas to look like and be like? And what do you want to do in my heart this Christmas? God has some amazing things for us. He really does. Christmas is a season of expectation. Let Christ exceed yours. Let's pray. Father God, thank you as we enter the Christmas season again. We come here every year. We have four or five weeks when we can just kind of just look into the future and look at the, the day that you were born. And I pray for the next, well, for the next really month here as, as we head into Christmas, Lord, that you will just open our eyes. Next 30 days, you'll open our eyes to the beauty of what it really means that you came and Lord, what do you want to do in each of our lives? I pray for each one of us here. What are your expectations for our Christmas? What do you want to show us? What do you want to do in our hearts and lives? How do you want to challenge us? How do you want to encourage us? How do you want to draw near to us this Christmas season? May we ask that question. May we listen for your answer. And may we put all our expectations and hope on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.